A few weeks ago, I had the great pleasure of sitting down with Dr. George Yu. Quick to tell me he was 70 years old, I was floored. I had him pegged in his 50s. Still in his doctor's gear and wearing the clogs of an old-time surgeon, he has the energy of a 25-year-old, or maybe even younger. And I'm being serious, so read on. Or keep listening. I first heard Dr. Yu speak at a macrobiotic conference five years ago. It was a big hall. I was sitting in the back, as usual, wanting the option to duck out if the speaker proved boring. But this physically small man with a booming voice and a huge presence stood up and started speaking. To paraphrase, he said, I don't mean anyone any disrespect, but I've studied the data on the Cushy Institute in macrobiotics, Omega Institute, Hippocrates Institute, and with cancer patients, I consistently find that you have similar results. And my analysis points to calorie restriction. You are all providing high-nutrient, low-calorie diets. I have found that roughly one-third of each of your patients respond very well to low-calorie diets. I knew I loved this man because he's not afraid to speak his mind. Having lived in Philadelphia and gone to the University of Pennsylvania, I knew of the department store Wanamaker's. John Wanamaker was famous for the quote, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. So we know that the data suggests that one-third of patients with cancer will recover simply by eating healthier, lower-calorie diets until things clear up. But for now, at least, we don't know which third. I would also add that other factors, including stress, exercise, and physical and personal environment matters. Dr. Yu's Totally You program is, in fact, about you. Dr. Yu is a surgeon trained in the pelvic area with a specialty in neurology. Many years ago, his mindset transformed when he became a patient. Though he continued as a practicing surgeon for many years, he started treating the whole body. Today, he no longer operates, though still refers people to surgery when needed. For those in the more traditional structured Western medicine world, I think his experience and success and philosophy of being ever curious bears listening to. Personally, I've had more than one relative who got completely different opinions from the Mayo Clinic and Sloan Kettering. So trust me, even amongst the best, there are differences in mindset and thus opinion. The wall in his office is littered with pictures of famous people with more wording and deeper meaning than mere signatures and a thanks. Pictures are also not displayed to beat his chest. Rather, it feels like he is grateful that they have entrusted their lives to him. Regardless of what you have, cancer, autoimmune, hormonal imbalances, which can lead to certain cancers, whatever it is, you should listen to Dr. Yu. He's thoughtful, scientific, methodical, curious, and creative. And he believes in using the standard of care in conjunction with metabolic therapies, including a low-calorie and or ketogenic diet, among other drugs that can mimic that effect. He also is a believer that when you use these adjunctive therapies, you can make do with lower doses of chemotherapy and hopefully with success, less radiation and other toxic treatments. His goal is to give you the most effective treatment that leaves you with the least long-term systemic bodily damage. On November 3rd, 4th, and 5th of this year, he is hosting the Tripping Over the Truth Conference in Baltimore, along with Travis Christofferson. Researchers, researchers and doctors from all over the world are flying in for this Friday through Sunday conference to hear thought leaders show results of their work and share best practices. I will certainly be there and suggest you consider it. I have linked to the conference page above and we'll have it on our website. The title is based on a book written by Travis Christofferson, a relatively new but already good friend. That book tracks the practical elimination of metabolic therapies from the standard of care for cancer treatment. I go back to what I wish could be the name of this podcast series, though a bit awkward, which is give me every edge I can get. And Dr. Yu does just that. And with that, here is Dr. George Yu. I am lucky to be sitting here today with Dr. George Yu, who uh, is trained both as a a traditional surgeon and then in urology and ultimately in cancer. Uh, but over his long career uh, has uh, evolved his thinking uh, of how uh, cancer, and I think for that matter, all diseases um, could be treated. Uh, and, and what I admire is despite all your experience, when I talk to you is there's still a significant amount of humility and curiosity 
uh, about evolving what you do. Um, and with that note, I would love to turn it over to you to just give us a, a background and talk about your history and how you came to where you are today. You know, curiosity is more important than anything else. As Einstein said, imagination is more important than intelligence. Uh, my background is such that I was born in China and lived all over Europe, Asia, Latin America. And that gave me the first clue that life was different everywhere. And everybody knew something that you didn't know in one place. In my training, I'm trained traditionally at Tufts Medical School. And I was a science major in college and chemistry. And then I did my residency at Peter Ben Brigham in general surgery and then at Johns Hopkins in a subspecialty, as we all do in the United States. But I had tours of missionary surgery, and it was very fortunate that I met people like Dr. Irvine and Dennis Burkett, who told me that they never felt that food would be that important as fiber. We never saw colon cancer, we never saw diverticulosis, we never saw ulcerated colitis in those patients we operated on. So I had a broad exposure to different kinds of medicine and different practices. And so, you know, when I started my career as a surgeon, I was set on being a cancer uh, surgeon involving the pelvic area of both the men and women. And it was great i loved it i did sex changes also so that i could understand the pelvic anatomy really well as well as the cancers but after 35 years of doing it um, i felt that there was a lot of things that i picked up along the way while i was doing surgery for instance i told you about the hormonal aspects of men who got castrated for prostate cancer many of them developed diabetes so there was a clear relationship. And so how long ago did you start evolving? You said 35 years. And how long ago did you start evolving your... The way I thought. The way you thought. Well, the first time was, uh, I would say, I started thinking about this around uh, 1999. Um, you know, I began to notice that the surgery that I did for the women uh, for the pelvic exoneration, they needed hormones for the repair and the reconstruction. And some of them told me that it helped them sleep better and think better. So I knew that there was a multidimensional effect of sex hormones. For men, I saw clearly that when you castrated them uh, for prostate cancer, they became metabolic syndromes, all of them, fat bellies, skinny legs, and they lost their bone, and they became diabetics. Uh, so that relationship was clear. And as I moved along, I noticed that uh, in the cancer cases, um, many of them uh, had PET scan positives, and I noticed that this was all related to how much sugar was in the cancer cells. 90% of the cancers all have that. Interestingly, uh, Prostate cancer doesn't show that in the beginning, but when they have metastasis, it was clearly 2-deoxyglucose uh, positive in the PET scan. So I saw that there was a metabolic involvement, and I began to start looking at this part as the last chapter of my career uh, and uh, seeing whether I could reverse some of these processes before they got to the operating room table. So, so today you're in your you're still um, directly affiliated with George Washington University. Yes. And, and what do you what are you doing there right now? For you know, basically since 1981, since I finished at Johns Hopkins, I was uh, you know assigned or placed in a position of doing cancer surgery. Uh, I did it for men and women, and. Um, as time grew, there were more young trainees who could take over some of the things I was doing. And Tom Jarrett, the chairman, has been great. I helped recruit him from Johns Hopkins and Cornell. 
And uh, my role is to see what the future holds in, in that specialty. However, my area of interest is, became more hormonal effects and metabolic effects of cancers and chronic diseases. So I focused on that, and right now, as we're speaking, uh, you know, the chairman of the department and I have been planning on looking at uh, the cancer metabolic effects and the mitochondrial changes, and we'd like to be one of the earliest publishers of that kind of research, showing that metabolism has a lot to do with abnormal growths and function. For instance, when we castrate a man, uh, he gets tired right away because the mitochondria on ultrastructure uh, balloons out. It's no longer the same. So we know there's a clear correlation between the science and what we see clinically. And so that's our focus, and I hope to pursue that for the next few years. And, and in your private practice, what are you, you're seeing a variety of patients now, correct? Our main our private practice uh, focuses on giving the patients what they need to know about the latest advances in science and medicine and not have the delay of the 15-year period that usually occurs between the discovery and the application. Uh, our strongest area is sex hormones beyond reproduction. Uh, we say that because the sex hormones control so much of your body functions. Uh, for women, uh, for instance, we, we see a woman who's gone through PMS. Uh, it's, it's severe it, imbalance between the progesterone and the estradiol. For women with dense breasts on mammography, it's clearly an estradiol estrogen dominance and when you balance the pro hormones with progesterone, it goes away topically. Well, well seen, we see that on the mammography often, and yet people don't know about this. Of course, it helps with other functions such as their mental functions and their metabolism and their weight, clearly. So this is an area of focus. Our second focus is on the importance of uh, nutritional uh, in, um, metabolic effects of the body, both for the brain and for the body, for for growths and dysfunctions of the body. So insulin, uh, insulin hemoglobin A1C uh, becomes a very common lab test that we get on everybody. Now we're also incorporating beta hydroxybutyrate, which shows you. Uh, the shift between carbohydrate metabolism and uh, ketone metabolism, which is oil. So we balance everything for you and make you much better. Interestingly enough, hypothyroid is the most one of the most common entities in women, and I believe also that it's related to the sex hormones. When a woman is pregnant or has a high estradiol estrogen level, there's a high chance that she'll develop hypothyroidism. The estrogen does that. And when you balance it, it, it decreases. So uh, oftentimes we would see up to maybe some of our patients, selected patients, we're seeing about 20% uh, thyroid dysfunction related to menopause. So what, what I'd love to dive into is, uh, because you're, you're known in the way I, the way I actually met you, or, or first, I, I, think I, I think I shook your hand at the time, but you presented at uh, a Macrobiotic Akushi annual conference four or five years ago when I was there, and, and you got up and you gave this great speech and said, I don't mean to offend anyone, but I've looked at Hippocrates, I've looked at Omega, I've, lo I've looked at, at Akushi and Macrobiotics, and I found one common thread, and that's calorie restriction. And having done a long period macrobiotic myself, um, and and seeing the effects of, of of for me cycling in and out of low calorie, um, and I think I feel personally it's had profound effects. But um, but you have an upcoming conference, which I'd like to talk directly about towards the end of this uh, interview. But um, but I'd like to go at, at a cancer patient. And I don't know if you want to pick a 
one example, one type of cancer or, but how you approach what your protocol is. If someone were to come to you and say, I was diagnosed with cancer, what would that protocol, what, you know, from, from testing, then treatment, then either more testing or retesting. And, and how do you, how does someone work with you and how do you approach taking on a case, let's say? Yeah. So that's a very good question because as clinicians, we're not pure scientists. We don't treat rats and animals and they talk back. So we have to think about a person who's changing all the time and has desires, um, problems, and things that they can do and not do. Uh, so one of the things that we noticed when I was looking at these different nutritional sta states was that uh, when their weight went down 10%, the insulin went down uh, to about four or five, or the hemoglobin A1C dropped from seven to uh, five, we saw that the cancers went away. And as I mentioned to you before, when I was doing the best case series, we noticed that their visceral fat and their subcutaneous fat went away about the same time that the tumor regressed. So we saw that as a common factor in the Hippocrates diet, in the optimal uh, nutrition diet, optimal health diet, the uh, macrobiotics diet, you name it. And this was all started and beautifully demonstrated by Roy Wolford, uh, who believed in calorie restriction. And, um, and we noticed that experimentally, uh, McKay at Cornell coined that long time ago at Cornell. And my professor at Penn, uh, Dr. Krzyzewski, noticed that calorie restricted caused the cancers to regress. So everybody knew this association and the big study was Biosphere 2, which was the most expensive one in which everybody's hemoglobin A1C, which is a, an indication of how much sugar was attached to the hemoglobin, all went down. They lost weight. Their blood pressures went away. Everything went down to a very normal, beautiful state temporarily. Now, can the person stay in that level? No. It, you'd have to, uh, you could not do that because the consequences of long-term would be uh, endocrine problems and other problems such as osteoporosis. So we felt that this is an important finding in our clinical work and we use that when we see a patient after we review all their clinical slides and look at all the staging uh, parameters to know exactly where they are. Uh, please remember that I'm a surgeon. I believe in chemotherapy. I believe in surgery and I believe in radiation therapy along with something that I would add as a metabolic approach uh, to cancer. Uh, so after we do the initial studies, the first thing we tell them is that we said, if this is PET scan positive, we want you to start using an intermittent uh, calorie restricted diet and we'll see how your numbers look and how the scans look and the second thing is that we always say if it's a prostate cancer or, or a pro or breast cancer we have to monitor and look at your baseline hormone studies one of the drugs that we call the repurposed drugs that we like most is metformin uh, we have known since Aronson published the paper on prostate cancer that PSA drops when you go into a low-carbohydrate diet. And metformin, of course, as you know, is a anti-diabetic drug. And now it's starting to show that uh, more and more that it may be a repurposed drug for cancer. Um, Pamela Goodwin at University of Toronto is following a large group of women with breast cancer, and she notices that uh, by using a metformin and correcting their carbohydrate diet, uh, that the cancers don't progress as quickly. So these studies are being done uh, all over the world, 
And we felt that this is one thing that we could use. We also would consider other um, uh, drugs such as um, uh, mebendazole, uh, which is an anti-worm drug, uh, Lipitor, which also controls the statin effects, and NSAIDs also. Now, one of the things that we always want to do is we want to use calorie restriction, but we want to enhance the ketosis part because, as you know, these primitive cancer cells act like yeast, and they can only eat sugar in the beginning. That's why carbohydrate and sugar have to be restricted, and I tell most of the patients they can't eat bananas or carrots, even though there's a lot of nutritional effects. It, it enhances their blood sugar to very high levels. So we use oils like coconut oil, uh, medium-chain fatty acids, caprylic acid we like especially. Uh, it has a tremendous pure energy uh, effect with no accumulation of fat. We want to do that. The second thing we want to do is we want to boost their respiration. In other words, pushing a, pushing glycolysis to the background and enhancing respiration using oxygen, and that's the Krebs cycle. So we want to use oxygen. We encourage them to use hyperbaric chambers. Uh, if it's possible, we have a liquid oxygen that we use uh, and we want things like uh, the substrates of uh, Krebs cycle, like oxaloacetate, which can be purchased ordinarily. And we've actually seen some of the dogs who took that, their cancers went away. Uh, so uh, we're pushing the equation from pure glycolysis, which is fermentation without oxygen, to oxygen Krebs cycle, which is a much more efficient way of living for most cells. Most cancer cells do not have that in the beginning and they gradually transfer. So we have to do this as a multi-sequential clinical approach, meaning that we can't just stick to one thing and only do that. So the next thing that we do is we want to use things like um, metabolic blocking agents. I should mention to you that I have not seen anybody uh, completely cured with nutritional uh, approaches on the long run. Uh, when I did the audit for the uh, best case series, we saw about a third of the patients on calorie restricted do very, very well. And we actually saw some cures like a malignant melanoma and pancreatic cancer. And uh, this is well, well documented cases. However, about two thirds of them will do very well in the beginning. And then, um, about a year or two later, the cancer regresses. So we know something's changing. And if it weren't for Tom Seafried's great work summarizing all the research done, I would say that we still would be at, at loss about what it is, but it's becoming clear that the mitochondria may be the first dysfunctional part of carcinomatosis and that that may have insults, whether it's nuclear or membrane, that causes a shift in the way the, uh, the cells feed itself. So, so we actually want things like uh, uh, 2-deoxyglucose protocols. We use dichloroacetate protocols. And, of course, the big poster child that's coming up is the 3-bromopyruvate uh, discovered by Dr. Peterson and Dr. Yanko from Hopkins. The 3-bromopyruvate is a very unusual molecule in that it tricks the body into letting it go inside the cancer cell and not necessarily the normal cell, and therefore... It causes damage to the cancer cell because, as you know, cancer cells are very acidic. They produce lactic acid because they're not uh, oxygen-driven uh, metabolism. And when it comes out, the 3-bromopyruvate sneaks in at just like a Trojan horse. Uh, <clears throat> these drugs, when we did the National Cancer Institute, uh, screening with 60 human cell lines, we could see at 100 micromolar on 
on on screening that is not in clinical in vivo but in the screening that most of the cancers all the way from breast colon brain kidney prostate breast leukemias all were impressively dying out very quickly whether the pharmacokinetics need uh, are are going to be good is another question but we know it has a direct effect on the cancer metabolism. So we encourage that, and the present ones that are available is dichloroacetate, which is being used all over the world. We also know that there's certain cancers that incorporate glutamine, and therefore we would encourage people to think about using the phenylbutyrate blocking agents and the basic science work done by Tom Seafried uses uh, drugs uh, called DON, D-O-N. And uh, these actually are anti-sperm um, uh, drugs uh, that never really took off, but it may also have a metabolic effect. In fact, the London Care Group Oncology looks at mebendazole, which is an anti-nematode drug, and it also has an anti-glioblastoma effect. In fact, I was talking to Dr. Greg Riggins at Johns Hopkins, and he told me that it has effects on other types of cancers. So we're going to see a whole array of not only metabolic blocking agents, but also repurposed drugs coming down the pike to look at how they affect the cancers. And my feeling is that we will be combining chemotherapy traditionally with these approaches and using a nutritional approach to aggravate the cancer survival. In fact, one of the things that we have seen in, in some of the cases we've done is that when a person has metastatic disease and uh, we check to make sure that the uh, cancer is sensitive to the particular chemotherapy, uh, for instance, like uh, prostate, we would consider Taxol, uh, when we use what we call a metabolically enhanced chemotherapy, which is to use uh, an old term that they use an in insulin potentiation, where you lower the blood sugar and disrupt the metabolic effects of the cancer and then give the chemotherapy or the immunotherapy, it may have a much bigger effect as we have seen. In fact, they use only 30% of the chemotherapy drug and seem to have impressive results from what I've seen. Uh, I have a case right now where a patient had metastatic prostate cancer and uh, using that um, uh, regimen, uh, the PET scans all became negative after the chemotherapy using a metabolically enhanced approach. We have seen internationally in, in England and uh, also in Turkey where they have a fairly large series using this approach with chemotherapy and uh, getting excellent results. Now, on top of that, when a person does get chemotherapy, we know that the main effect of the chemotherapy lasts about seven hours. And the side effects often come four or five days later with neutropenia, low white cells, and infection and anemia, as everybody knows. And we actually encourage those patients to <clears throat> take uh, the homeopathic dilutions uh, of uh, 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 of herbs and also the chemotherapeutic agents, which is very highly proposed and used in France uh, to decrease their side effects like the hand-foot syndrome uh, from drugs. And of course, anastrozole, which is a estrogen blocker, cause a lot of joint problems and they can alleviate it with two simple uh, homeopathic doses, which is well-practiced in France. Lastly, when they finish the chemotherapy, we also tell them that they should uh, try to get rid of this. As we have seen, people who <laughs> by accident use saunas after their chemotherapy notice the chemotherapy smell in their saunas. Uh, this is documented because we know that this happens with uh, 
drug abuse and drugs, anesthesia, when we give surgery to people, when they take a sauna afterwards, the anesthesia comes out right into their saunas. So that gives you an overall view of our approach. Each one, of course, is tailor-made for the individual. But again, we always check their pathology with our pathologist to verify this type and the grade. And we also look at all their radiological studies with our radiologists to confirm the staging. And sometimes we would even send their blood to a lab to see whether there's cancer growing, even though all radiological studies are negative. So how, how often during the, when you first see a patient, how often are you seeing that patient during the, you know, the first I don't know, three, six, nine, 12 months? And so usually they're sent as a second opinion. And when we see them initially, we go through all their pathology and radiological and blood studies. We make a, a, a overall recommendation and then we would probably repeat their PET scan within two months period to see the status of it. If they're doing well and things are going well, we would actually, about six months later, do a blood test sent uh, uh, to Switzerland and uh, other labs in which we look at, it, are there cancer cells in the blood, even though we can't see it? on radiological blood studies. And we would actually ask for the chemotherapy and the nutraceuticals which help uh, eradicate those cancers. And so it's more targeted to specifically tailor-made for your kind of cancer. So we go through those cycles and we of course uh, encourage people to go to certain institutions to get the calorie restricted diet started so they don't have to reinvent everything themselves. And of course, we add things like melatonin, which will enhance the immune system, well-published, that high doses of melatonin, up to 20 milligrams, have been very useful in, uh, in the immune system and cancer. I mean, I've, I've heard low-dosing melatonin, even in the fraction of a milligram, is so you're at 20 milligrams. Yes, the l literature clearly uh, has done a lot of work on this, and uh, uh, we encourage them to do that. Not everybody can do it. For myself, I can't do it because I get bad dreams when I take too much melatonin. Yeah, I, don't, you, you, I don't think yeah. I've ever taken more than five milligrams. Yeah. So, so it's, it's I have possible. To try that. <laughs> yeah, we you, we know from basic physiology and uh, biology that uh, melatonin and prolactin are the two natural killer cells, hormones, which actually enhance your body's ability to clean up the uh, the body uh, when you're sleeping. So that's why six hours is so important. First three hours is the melatonin secretions and second three hours is the prolactin as a way to, you might say, clean up the dirty stuff in your body daily. Well, I, I have a different kind of question, uh, uh, which is on a prevention side. If you take someone who's generally healthy, appears healthy, and wants to do things that aren't too radical, but that are achievable on a prevention basis, yeah. what are the things you would recommend or to, or at least consider? Yeah, well, you know, we know that, you know, that this, the, the biology is this. If you can't eat, the body says, shut it down, save it for another day. If you're eating everything, let's grow and reproduce. That's the two extremes, okay? So you have to know how to balance yourself and you have to balance your age because your body doesn't function properly. In terms of prevention, you know, the fasting in the religious groups have always worked. Uh, the Catholics did it, the Muslims do it, you know, and, uh, and basically it's a cleanup job. So, you know, Calorie restriction is just an extension of fasting. And so it's become quite popular and people uh, don't eat as much as they used to because they don't need it. Uh, if a farmer uh, is working daily uh, heavily, he needs to eat at least three times a day. 
and maybe more, and he can eat anything. But for us, it's very important to use a cycling of what we call fasting and eating abundantly. I think, you know, there's too much made about, uh, there's too much made about going intellectually into one form of diet, raw diet, cooked food, uh, ketotic food, uh, Atkins food. And the body really doesn't like that. It, it needs to have a happy medium, as you well experience with the macrobiotics. And we know, consequently, if you're on it too long, you get into trouble. So in terms of prevention, I think, uh, I think decreasing the calories periodically, intermittently is important, as well as eating abundantly, periodically. Uh, the second thing is, I think... Uh, you know, the future looks good for these agents like the metabolic blocking agents like 3-bromopyruvate. It, it, in low doses and homeopathic dilution doses, it may have a tremendous effect on preventing aberrant uh, cells from getting hold of things. Uh, good respiration. Breathing is, I can't emphasize enough because it, it's the basis of our whole uh, autonomic system, the sympathetic and autonomic system, but proper respiration, oxygen, proper sleep with no sleep apnea are critical in health. So with those things said, you have to formulate a, a, a tailor-made package for yourself. And uh, the, as you age, of course, the hormones change. And that's something a lot of people in metabolism don't really understand. We know menopause is obvious, but we can make this much better, smoother, what I call going through the menopausal, andropausal stage smoothly instead of erratically. Those are ways that you can make your life better and prevent breast cancer and uterine fibroids, you see. So those are things that you can easily do before you get the inklings of a solid mass. Remember, you have all kinds of toxins in your body, including electrical toxins. Nowadays, people can't see it, so they're not talking about electrical uh, toxicity, but there's a great book called Dirty Electricity by Sam Mayim, who's going to be a speaker at this conference, and you have to know how to get that out. Interestingly enough, by taking niacin and a sauna of high temperature, you can actually get sunlight out of your body that you were exposed to over 10 years ago. So we know this, and we've seen this. When I brought this to Hiroshima Institute of Biology, they were looking at all these bathing suit marks, and they said, how do you get that? I said, just by giving niacin and a hot, hot bath or sauna, you can get it out once and it never comes back again. So I think of radiation as a toxic chemical in something you can't see. So those are things that you have to look at to keep yourself well. And last but not least, the GI tract has to be nice. We are big proponents of using, um, using digestive enzymes. Uh, because when I was a surgeon, I used to look at all the bowel I opened up and the people who were on sauerkraut uh, uh, and, uh, you know, and miso, they had beautiful looking bowels. So that has a lot of enzymes in it. So this is something you can do. You can use Swedish bitters that that's been around for over 2,000 years and cheap. You can get the expensive version, which is called uh, Fenebranca. Um but we also believe in using uh, good um, uh, fiber. Fiber, uh, we like uh, psyllium husk because it's a way to clean yourself out and to become a prebiotic. And we also like something that the gasoline industry uses, charcoal tablets. Uh, charcoal is basically an absorbent. And periodically when uh, my little kid patients get sick from ingesting some bad food, we just put five charcoal tablets on them and it's gone. This is what I use when I'm overseas. I use that in the missionary all the time. 
Uh, you know, so this is not bad. Even Coca-Cola is good. When I was a missionary taking care of kids with meningitis, uh, malaria meningitis, we couldn't get enough IVs into them, but you gave them one sip of Coca-Cola and they drank the whole thing. So not everything is bad. It's just the way you use it and how you can tailor make it to your own body that has tremendous prevention effects. It's our job to educate people and it's our job to make the science related to what they're doing. And that's why we're so big on understanding mitochondria, the cigar-shaped energy packets which make your life better or worse. That's great. So so what I'd love to do is shift gears to the upcoming conference, which I will be attending in early November, the 3rd through the 5th. And if you could just talk about the the overall conference and your goals and, and, and maybe some of a couple of highlights and, you know, to show people as opposed to just tell them why they should attend. Yeah. So we're going to have great speakers. We have uh, over 40 speakers, but the most important thing is we wanted to make this a retreat because our foundation believes that we have to let the people understand the concepts. And it's too ambiguous to talk about nutrition. It's too ambiguous to talk about calorie restriction. So we said, let's put the science together with the food. So we're going to talk about beta-hydroxybutyrate because Dr. Veach, who's right next door, is the one who discovered this and he realizes that this will affect the brain to prevent Alzheimer's disease. Uh, we also know that the mitochondria is a big factor and we want people to know it. So in order to make a, a more bigger Im impact, we felt that we had to mix the scientists and the chefs and the nutritionists all in one place. It's very expensive to do that, but we got one of the biggest conference retreat centers in the East Coast of the United States, the Maritime Conference, which can hold 900 people. The dining room can hold 500 people. So we wanted this to be a tipping point where it's a paradigm shift in that we're incorporating the metabolism of Alzheimer's disease and cancer into the picture, and we wanted people to know about it. So in this conference, the unusual thing is that we'll not only have speakers going simultaneously, we'll have chefs demonstrating what their best recipes are, and we'll have nutritionists giving us some of the information all simultaneously, and then we're going to have breakout sessions where you as an individual, maybe shy to talk in front of a big crowd, can get into a small room with five to ten people and talking real talk. And we're going to videotape all this because it's so important. And so, yes, our foundation is spending a lot of money with uh, Tra Travis Christofferson's foundation and the Reichert family, but we felt that it's not enough to do research and science. It's important to give the common person a resource that's reliable. So we say those of us who have passed away from diseases, Alzheimer's, it should not be in vain. It should be something that they can carry away. And we wanted this uh, for the people, but it's by the people and of the people as a big group to make a big statement. And, and, and the, the focus of this, though, is metabolic therapies to, for cancer and Alzheimer's in yes. particular. What's very interesting is that the commonality of this is metabolism. In uh, Alzheimer's disease, we now know that it's kind of a, like a diabetes type 3. The PET scan showed very poor uptake of sugar into the brain, and you know how important that is. Uh, in cancer of the brain, it, they got too much sugar in the brain. So the glioblastomas just light up with sugar. And when you use a substance like beta-hydroxybutyrate, uh, uh, you know, credit to Dr. 
uh, Richard Veach, uh, a disciple of Hans Krebs of the Krebs cycle, you kill the cancers while you feed the brain for Alzheimer's. So it, it made sense to combine these two because these are the two big chronic problems that we face. And uh, we're going to put the science there so that you don't have to, to go home and say, well, my doctor says there's no science behind this. There's plenty of science. And some of the great science came from Johns Hopkins with, uh, you know, Albert Leninger and Pete Peterson, who wrote this definitive piece of work in 1978, which you believe, <laughs> in which he talks about the cancer mitochondria being very abnormal. And we want you to know it, so we want you to learn, we want you to empower, and we want you to act. Great. Well, I'll also, in the show notes, post uh, the agenda and everything and every bit of information as well as links to um, other videos that you've made. Um, and so I have I what I think is one last question. I never know if it leads to another, but... Um, as as you mentioned before, uh, you, you've been at 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 uh, GW since 1981, and and uh, and as you said when I walked in, you're now 70. So I asked. Oh my God! <laughs> I don't know if I should divulge that. Oh, but, that's fine. Um, I love it. <laughs> um, but you're as as vibrant and youthful looking as as anyone, and 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 I know a few people that have taken very good care of themselves, and um, and. It, you know, one thing I think is you have a smile on your face pretty much the whole time, uh, which really helps. Um, but what what drives you? What what drove you? Because because we talked about your transition away, but I, I don't I don't think we talked specifically about why and and what drives you to this day to to be as active as ever. Well, you know, they always say that necessity is the mother of invention, so. The doctors, the families, the corporations, they think that everything works until they found that it's not working. For myself, I had an ulcer. They asked, and when I was at Harvard, they said, you need a, an operation, a Bill Roth type of operation. And my friend from Australia called me up and says, don't do it, don't do it. Just use Pepto-Bismol, tetracycline, and Flagyl, and you'll be cured in six months. So that's the beginning when you start thinking, maybe something I'm learned that I accepted is not working. So that's the quest that some of us go through. You know, we used to treat ulcers with bland diets and whatnot. Now we know it's an infection. But it took somebody who said, this is not working. And in the same way, I've always been more open than others because I've trained all over the world. I did surgery in Japan and I realized how good a surgeons they were in liver disease. I did missionary work where I found Dennis Burkett says Burkett's lymphoma can be treated with half the chemotherapy and that fiber is the biggest problem for modern man. You know, not having enough. So I've done, you know, a, a symphysiotomies because in certain countries that I went to, you couldn't do a cesarean section. And the patients did fine. So all uh, we all have biases. We all learn pieces of the whole puzzle. And when you see that it's not one thing that does it all, you become open and learn. I'm a, I'm a traditional surgeon, but I realize that we have to go beyond that and we have to look at nutrition because I found out that metabolism is nutrition. And, and you know, for those of my colleagues who are more reluctant to look at this uh, from a very objective level and reading a lot, uh, you know, it could be that they have other pressures that don't allow this to happen, you know. So, you know, each one of us have something to offer and, uh, you know, I try to offer what needs to be done that may be slightly ahead of the curve before it's accepted as, you know, standard of therapy. Like metformin is becoming clearly an important drug 
and the use of metformin topically also is becoming a brand new approach to things in not only for diabetes, but for cancer. Uh, you know, so these things are happening in surgery. In the old days, it was the radical mastectomy for breast cancer. Now we're doing lumpectomies. It takes time. But our goal, our foundation goal, my goal is to speed it up. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's why I named uh, this series P5 Protocols because of I'm looking at, I'm pointing at, at this diagram you have that, uh, with your permission, I will, I will post uh, a PDF with the show notes, um, about all the different things you do and try to get every edge on in this case, this diagram with the cancer, um, you know, every edge you can, that, it, that, that it's not just one wonder drug. And, and, and one of the things that upsets me when I see like immunotherapy is, is people think, oh, we're just going to do immunotherapy. And then I read an article um, at uh, in the MIT uh, Technology Review on on Yervoy, which is the most successful immunotherapy drug to date. And there, yeah, and and um, I think it's uh, Allison, it's Dr. Allison, uh, and he's being praised all over. And he's sitting there while everyone's heaping praise on him. He's like, I'm just thinking about the 78 percent of the people it doesn't help. So he doesn't, none, in none of the pictures, he doesn't have a smile on his face. He, yeah, 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 he's yeah. just focused on who can I heal. Right, right. Um, and yeah, no, it's the same way. And it's a people problem. You know, the, as I said to the nutritionist, and the, 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 I said, only a third of the patients do really well. The rest of them don't do well. Let's talk about the 66% that don't do well, and we have to go find it. Yeah. You see, it's the same for everybody whether it's a chemotherapist or nutritionist, they're all focused on the part that they do well in. And you have to look at what's not doing well. And, you know, Sidney Farber, one of my greatest heroes, he's a Polish Jewish descent that came to the United States and he's the father of oncology, chemotherapy. And he said he's not happy with what is being done. And he was the first one to look at nitrogen mustard, you know, to look at this as a way. So it's not new. You have to push it and look for better ways to do things. Wonderful. Well, I appreciate your time. I, I hope this is the first of, of several interviews over, over time. And I will certainly be back with you in about five or five weeks, I think six weeks, five or six weeks when the conference uh, begins. And uh, I, I will certainly be trying to arrange uh, other uh, interviews while I have a, this this uh, wealth of not just knowledge but wisdom under one roof. Yeah, you should interview all the forty speakers we have: <laughs> <laughs> Tom Seafried and Richard Veach. They're all willing to talk to you. <laughs> well, Tom Tom's coming up. I think I think That's I'm great. probably I've yeah. I've already interviewed him, and I think I will air him yeah. uh, right after yeah. right after you. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he was great. I spent I spent five hours with him. Well, you know, Tom and I made a pact. We have to reach out to the common person. We can't be talking to the choir. So he knows that he's doing a better job than I am. He's traveling all over the world yep. talking. And that's what you need. You need a soldier, momentum, and people who are willing to listen because the necessity concept. You know, necessity is the mother of inventions because something's not working. Yep. So we need to approach it that way. Wonderful. Well, thank you for your time today. Thank you.